Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sunday evening, and um, let me do the Parshas Noach now, <clears throat> since I have an opportunity. Plus, um, I promised to do it for um, this being sponsored by Yehuda Tannen for the yard site of Kavi uh, Rosenblum, which was last week, actually. <clears throat> this is the young fellow who was a student of mine. We used to learn together and so forth. Then afterwards, a year later, I guess, uh, he had this bad car accident and unfortunately uh, <clears throat> succumbed to that. And uh, we all miss him. I used to, we're looking at Parshish Noach. I remember learning with him. He used to come to my house sometimes on Friday night. I remember doing the Medeshav on Parshish Noach uh, vaguely. Noach and Lech Lecha in those Parshas that time of the year. And so this is being sponsored by a classmate of his from high school. That's very nice. Yehuda Tan, who I think now is in medical school. Um, so that's a real friend. And uh, Gabi's the type of friends. If if he were alive now, you know, and he, he'd be on his way to Israel probably. If I knew him. Um, anyway, so we pay tribute to his memory, um, which is for a blessing. Hey, now, you can't help but look at the Parshad week, like I said last time, by Bracious, in light of the war that's going on now in Gaza and uh, Hamas and all the rest of it. <clears throat> Every rabbi in America and around the world this week is going to say, uh, 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 right? And you'll see it, they'll, they'll spin that for all it's worth. Hamas has nothing to do with Hamas, unless you want to argue for, uh, you know, coincidental uh, soundings. <clears throat> but there is actually, in my opinion, uh, really a, a uh, interesting and, and um, thought-provoking uh, shaykhis between the story of the Dora Flug on the one hand and the Hamas um, terrorists on the other. <clears throat> and that's the following. What happened by the Noah? Let's cut cut right to the chase. Hashem said, I'm going to wipe out the world. And he did. And he killed everybody. That's a certain way of like a final solution to the sin problem. Just kill them all. With the exception of Noah, of course. Okay. Um, that means that uh, it was incorrigible. Get it? In other words, uh, he didn't give him a chance to repent or anything like that. Well, it depends how you learn it. Some say... You know, the story of Noah is preceded. If you want to understand the story of Noah, <clears throat> you got to go back to the end of Parshas Bracious, to Perikvah Pasuk uh, Hey. That's really the background. And, you know, it's all one continuous narrative. And it says over there, um, actually a little bit before that, the beginning of, of Perikvah, I know the Prochim were not Jewish, but, you know, let's go with it anyway. And it says, um, it had to do with girls. The ones people had daughters. The strong took the girls that were weak. The pretty ones. That's how they grabbed wives. And the whole business degenerated. It's not clear. The story is not clear. And that's why there are many different versions in the Mepharshim and elsewhere 
I mean, it really is that they're not clear. Was it B'nai Elohim, B'nai Dayanaya? Was it angels? Was this and the other? But somehow, something really bad happened. And the girls became like objects. And uh, it says, They took whoever they wanted. And Hashem said, I can't stand this anymore. I can't take this anymore, right? My spirit will not contend, will not contend with anymore concerning man. So uh, Rashi, whoever says <coughs> you, that you can read that passage, it's very enigmatic. It's not clear at all. But Rashi says you can say, I'll give him another her in 20 years. That's the source of this whole idea that Noah, that we all learned, you know, when we were young, that Noah spent 120 years building the table. Because Hashem said, I'll give you another 120 years. And so the idea is, it's not exactly Mukta Mukha, but Torah, but so what? That at that point, when he said, I'll give you another 20 years, at that time, he told Noah, make an ark. Um, even though it doesn't put it there. You get what I'm saying? Now, um, he goes on to say, Hanafilim, Hoybarts, they had these giants, and Nephilim, whatever, and, and these Bnei Elohim, these powerful people, took these girls and then fathered children with them. These children were tough uh, guys also. <clears throat> what happened was, as I understand it, that somewhere along the line, uh, Force and power became an instrument of uh, of domination and abuse, especially male to female, because the male's stronger. Um, this went on for several generations. When that happened, what had been considered outrageous or scandalous became normalized. That's what you do when you want somebody, right? In other words, the whole idea of the relation between the, the genders was, you know, uh, became pretty much a question of might makes right. And they didn't know any different. By the time this proceeded, any old ideas that this was outrageous or violating norms or was immoral or anything like that simply wasn't known anymore because that's the way everybody did it. And that's why it says, Vayar Hashem ki why is that? What do you mean, rock, rock, call How come nobody ever had a, a second thought? How come nobody, rock, rock, call All they ever thought was bad. Nobody, uh, you know, uh, uh, cons- reconsidered. Nobody said, hey, maybe it's not a perfect idea. I didn't say <clears throat> that they went ahead and implemented their reforms and repented, but at least, you know, a, a, a little bit of a pang of conscience, Okay. It seems to be that, you know, anybody was powerful, just grabbed anything he wanted, any girl he wanted, any this he wanted, in the style of violent conquerors. And the world became a jungle in the sense that the rich, uh, the, the powerful completely, you know, dominated the unpowerful, the weak. And we were ter- the, the weak were terrorized by the strong, particularly the women, but not only. The weak were terrorized by the strong, which is the law of the jungle. That's how it goes with Chayas. The weak are terrorized by the strong. As a matter of fact, in the animal world, the weak are eaten by the strong. And life goes on. You never heard of a predator having charata, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? <clears throat> you know, an alligator, a snake, or whatever, you know, they don't have charata. 
It's not it's not part of their how they're built. So the human being is supposed to be built in such a way as a certain charata possible. That is the saving grace of a man. It's one of those things that separates the human from the animals. One is that the human can think in a way that the animals can't. I know that, of course. That's true. You know, that's correct. Um, and and therefore, the human can think of a lot of things the animals can't think. You know, even the smart behemoths can't come up with philosophy and science. <clears throat> but another aspect, you probably never thought of what I'm telling you. Another aspect is a human being can have charata. It's possible. A person could kill a lot of people, and for whatever reason, you know, then reconsider and say, maybe what I did was wrong. He could see the error, or maybe someone can persuade him or her, the error of his or her ways. Such a thing is possible, and such a thing happens, right? We have terrible people once in a while, once in a blue moon, and the person turns around and says, I guess I really messed up. Godola vanim and so, right? Whether it's done by sparking their conscience or maybe they start to get scared of Scharvonish, whatever the case is, it's possible for a person to say, you know, I made a mistake. But it's low, you're talking by an animal, a chaya, an insect, they say, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> you know, I did this and this and this. And they're not built that way. Okay? So, how did it happen? that the human race so evolved in such a way they became like the behemoth that they rock, rock, call him. You see, either you take that rhetorically or you take it literally. I think it means it literally. Ki rabba rayar Hashem, ki rabba ra'as ha'odna baris, v'chol yeitzer machshavus libo, rock, rock, call him. That's a heavy statement. All they do is evil. <clears throat> and the answer is, once you normalize a certain type of behavior, then it's almost like you culturally criminalize any and, and the the concept of having regret or charata or saying I did something wrong. We're living like this now in terms of sexual revolution. You know things that people thought were bad before this and the other. No, no, it's, the biggest error now in secular society is to apologize for being what you are. You are what you are. You see, I don't have to apologize to nobody. If you apologize or you regret or something like this, you're going back to pre 21st century norms, and you know, and the guilt is itself. The guilt is a sin. You know, in modern secular culture, the guilt is a sin. The opposite. You should be doing whatever you want to do, guilt free. Shouldn't have any feelings of guilt. <clears throat> That's a something that religions hit on people. That's something that old primitive ways of thinking throw on people. But if you're modern. And you're liberated from that old-fashioned kind of way of thinking, then then the opposite. You know, whatever whatever I do, whatever floats my boat, it's my business. As they say over here, it's consenting adults and not bothering anybody. Nobody's being hurt. Uh, why should I feel the slightest way bad? Which is antithetical to the biblical model, which is there are certain things you do, certain things you don't do, and if you, and if for whatever reason, you know, without judging anybody, without whatever reason, somebody does a zoy and a zoy and a zoy. They should understand this was right, this was wrong, and maybe one day I'll change because I see this is right and this is wrong. Now, it can start in the area of this and spread to other areas. And that's what happened in the time of Noah, as I understand it. Because 
this is the meaning to me. And usually we read these sukkim and I think we just take them rhetorically. We don't get into them. Or else we get into Rashi type interpretations. But let's go for the plain meaning. Okay? What's the Torah telling you, the regular person? Ela told us Noah, Noah has three sons. The world became totally corrupted, if that's the word you want to use. to destroy. So the world became sort of you know morally destroyed. So there was an outbreak of universal violence because, notice, as a consequence of Okay? Now, what does that mean? By the way, the, the language is very wonderful. How do you translate You can say that the, that the earth became corrupted from before the Lord. Yeah, of course, you can say like that, I know. You can also say that the gods of El became corrupted before the courts. Meaning the courts were also no good and people had no guilt whatsoever. So everybody became sociopaths, psychopaths. You understand? You do the crime and there's no bad feelings about it whatsoever. Uh, this is when things became completely utilitarian. It's, it's, the, it's the principled rejection of ethics. Think about that. The principled rejection of ethics. The whole idea that I should not do this or not take advantage of this situation or not take advantage of you or grab this or grab that was seen to be wrong. The only real, real, real reality is the reality of the law of the jungle. That whatever I want, I take, if I, if I can. If I can, it's only because there's superior power preventing me. No, nope. okay. So the whole world is a balance of power. Uh, who was it? Uh, was it uh, Hobbes, I think? Right? In his famous Leviathan, where he says, uh, what is it? The life of man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. You know, uh, that's one of the philosophers, the way he observed life. No art, no letters, no society, continual fear, danger, violent death, and the life of man, solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. He's he's basically um, saying, not that he intended to, So the thing started out with sexual things, but it spread to property things. And if I can take anybody I want, then I can take anything I want. And I can take anything I want, and if you try to stop me, I'll hurt you, or I'll kill you. Therefore, I have no choice but get out of your way, if I'm weaker if I'm weaker than you. And therefore, life becomes like the Wild West. You know, everybody's got to get a gun, and they, and they all shoot each other. You know what I'm saying? This is how it has to go. This is how it has to be. Now, how does one get to that? There has to be a desensitization of the morals. And we see such things. <clears throat> And one of the places you see him is in this Hamas-type culture that we saw last week, which you see, the mamish doesn't bother, in other words, it's funny, it doesn't bother them to burn a baby or whatever they did, you know what I mean? To cut up a, a 90-year-old woman, to do this, to, it, it doesn't bother them. You understand? They're not going to have no PTA. It's, it's really remarkable. I don't know if, if social scientists or shrinks study this kind of cultural thing where a person does terrible things, and there's no PTSD. You understand? We all know that a normal person gets mentally ruined by a war. Correct? Anybody, whatever they, I mean, if you're in combat, 
anybody went through the war and you see your friends getting blown up and the eyeballs pop out and the guts go all over the place, the normal reaction is you throw up, you get sick, and you have nightmares later on. <laughs> if you have nightmares, that's a good sign. That means you're normal. You were put through a terrible ordeal, whether it was, you know, in World War II, you know, fighting the Japanese, whatever, or in the Israeli army, and, you know, in, in this, this violent situation. And, you know, it, 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 since you're normal, so you see something revulsive, it, it revulses you. And since you see something that give you nightmares, you have nightmares. And that means you're regular, right? Only my father was in a concentration camp. Of course, he had nightmares later on. That's because he was normal. Because <laughs> he saw things that are beyond beyond. <laughs> okay? Um, I think I told you that was once many years ago in the Library of Congress. And among other things, they had the different exhibits. And one of them I went over to was exhibit about that was commemorating, maybe this was in 2005, if I remember correctly, commemorating um, 50 years of the demobilization of the United States Army Armed Forces at the end of World War II, because we had 12 million men and women in the service in World War II, which is unbelievable, right? It's a gigantic amount of people, 11, 12 million. And so when the war's over, you, you don't simply say, yes, okay, drop your guns and walk home, <laughs> right? The U.S. had to demobilize everybody, decommission everybody, throw away a belt and a half of ammunition, bottom of the Pacific, unbelievable amounts. And then you had to ship all these people back home. And then they passed, Congress made what they call the GI Bill to give them free edu college education and to reintegrate them into the country. And they did do so. They did a pretty good job. So the logistics of taking all these people and, uh, you know, where do you put your uniform and, and, and where do you drop everybody off back in their house? So, you know, all that stuff was a monumental task of organization and they did pull it off and um, and this is what they're commemorating. So, you know, all these people have been through hell and a half, the Marines in the Pacific, the GIs in fighting the Germans, you know, it was really tough, right? Omaha Beach and so forth. And... <clears throat> They had a, a movie, a training movie, that they used to show the soldiers and in the War Department. They used to call it the Defense Department, the War Department. And an officer is addressing the troops. And that's what I watched from 1945. And the officer is saying to the soldiers, look here, when you come back to America, you're going to be asked by your wives, your sisters, your daughters, your sweethearts, your grandmothers, and so forth, what you see, Vastutsa, you know, what happened over there? This is what you're going to tell them. Nothing. You will keep your big fat mouth shut. Why? Because the whole reason that you went over there overseas to fight was precisely in order that your wife, your sweetheart, your grandmother, your daughter, and so forth would not even be able to imagine what you saw. And you want to keep it that way. It was a very interesting mahalach. You understand? And he's right. There are things that people, you know, if you're normal, this will jar you and mess you up. But that's a sign that you're normal. You have the sensitivity. That's why they're telling everybody this week, do not watch those videos of, you know, the Hamas atrocities. I don't know, chopped off heads, burned people, whatever whatever they show, you know, the rape, the this, that, and the other. Especially young people, but even older people, don't watch it. 
you know i guess some people have to watch in order to be able to say we saw it so therefore don't 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 deny it like the arabs are doing already but you know what i'm saying okay but what do you happens if you have someone where you see all this horrible stuff and garnish he's in a hot dog and he's in a falafel it's made garnish is totally mushchas, but he shall hamas, right? That person is hopeless. There's no moral thing there whatsoever. Therefore, let's wipe him out. And this uh, jihadist culture is like that. <clears throat> Years ago, I'm sure I must have said this one time or another, but it doesn't matter if I can't remember. Then you definitely won't. I read a book years ago about Saudi Arabia and the fight that was conducted by the authorities in Saudi Arabia against their jihadists. In other words, Saudi Arabia wasn't firm enough for the jihadists over there. You know, the bin Laden types and all that. And so there was a terrorist war by this jihadists, by the Hamas types over there in Saudi Arabia of all places to terrorize the society and overthrow the Saudi government and institute a government that was even firmer, more Islamic. And they used classic um, <clears throat> terrorism weapons, kidnapping and, uh, and, and uh, you know, assassinations and all that business. And, uh, and there's a whole science to it because what you do is not enough to kill somebody. You got to kill them on camera and then put it out on the YouTube, like I was saying before, Daniel Pearl or the Hamas, you know, if you if you watch this stuff, they want to make you throw up. But you want to know something? For every hundred people that watch one of these videos and throws up, <clears throat> there'll be a hundred and first person who said, this is Gavaldic. And that's the one they want. Join us. You see, it could be a guy or a girl. There are people like this. So the story in the book, which was done by a reporter, was that they kidnapped an American who, if I remember correctly, was an official of the oil company in Saudi Arabia. And the whole shot was to kill him on on uh, camera and make the Saudi Arabian government look bad. Um, so it was one of these jihadist families, you know, hiding in a house. I mean, in other words, who were in a, in a house in the capital city over there, whatever it was. And they weren't known to be jihadists. They, you know, they're part of a terrorist network, terrorist cell. And they got kids in the house. So the plan was to kidnap this guy, which they did. And then, eventually, to slice his head off in front of the camera. Uh, but the guy was big and strong. I'm going to... I haven't, it's a long time since I read it, but I'm telling you basically how I remember it. And, like in the movies, you know, he... I think got out of his um, ropes and he started wrestling with the other guys and they like hold him down and they choked him to death. That's the point. You know, they smothered him or whatever. In other words, in order to get him from escaping or something like that, <clears throat> they had to kill him, which was not part of the plan. So he died by being smothered or choked or Pazepis. So he's dead. So, to, so they can't go ahead with their program to, um, you know, uh, kill him on the, in front of the camera. And apparently that's how they get their main recruits. And so what they said was like, it's Bidiev, since he's dead, 
let's just cut his head off anyway. You know, it's not as good as if he was alive when we cut his head. That would really be good. But, you know, Bidi Evan will do this way, you know. There shouldn't be a whole waste of time. Brachel Batal, they kidnapped the guy for nothing. And so that's what they did. So, this is what the report is writing. The kids were of the family were watching. I mean, five, six, seven, eight years old, that kind of old. And they set up the camera, and they take this guy who's dead, just died, and they read some Islamic something or other, and they start, you know, cutting his neck until they chop up the whole head. And the kids are watching, that you see on the video, the, I'm telling you what the guy wrote, and they're watching there fascinatedly. They don't see anything scary about it. They don't see anything horrible about it. They just think it's cool. And when they cut the head, you see the kids saying like this, hey, how come his blood is not squirting? You know, last time the blood was squirting. That was cool. This guy, the blood's not squirting because, of course, he wasn't alive. You know, when you take a person who's alive and you, and you start slicing his throat, the blood shoots out. As any shochet will tell you with a mema. The, uh, here, the guy was already dead, and so the blood didn't do the regular way. Now, what's my point? What a bunch of sick dogs. The moral sensibility was just dead with them. You understand? Their mamish batishochei sa'arts lefnei olhim batim u'arts chamas v'ayar olhim sa'arts v'hini nishchosa so what is my, me, the reader? What do I say about those kids? you got to kill them now because, you know, they're going to grow up and be monsters. You say, either young, this, that, and the other. It's a ben I mean, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you are creating the, the Jack the Rippers of the future, the jihadists of the future. Now, it's easy for me to say this in the podcast. I get it, but you understand what I mean. This is how to understand the Dora Floga. At least this is how I understand the Dora Floga. That's more accurate. And that's the meaning of this business of Hashchosa. It started out with It started out with a sexual thing, but it spread to a physical violence thing. And let me ask you the question. Those two kids I just described, barring unforeseen circumstances, what are the chances that they're ever going to have Haroto or think that what their what their parents are doing is wrong, or something like that. Assuming that, for example, the jihadists took over Saudi Arabia or something like that. The answer is none, because there's nothing wrong with what they did, and they become desensitized at a very early age, obviously, and it's, it's garnished to them. So it's not even that they think that there's a slightest problem. They'll never have nightmares over this. So they're totally mushchasim, and they're beyond redemption. They're beyond belief. They're beyond relief. Right? It can't change. These guys that, that, that perpetrated these atrocities this week, I mean, they're going to be pangs of conscience. That's what we're dealing with. Now, it's hard for most people to understand what I'm saying because most of you are good people. And to be perfectly honest, it was hard for most Israelis to cop what I'm saying. The Israelis could not wrap their heads around the idea that the people that they're facing across the fence, I'm talking about the Hamas now, are these monsters, are these animals, as they say, these human chayas. Uh, and they couldn't wrap their head around it. You understand? I'll tell you the truth. I myself, I don't want to get personal, but I happen to know a family, not from, that lived in one of these settlements. I don't want to get specific. 
And they're wonderful people, uh, very super liberal, um, peaceniks, very anti uh, a lot of Israel. And they, you know, they, they just they couldn't believe that on the other side, people are like this. When I was young, I used to have an argument with an aunt of mine. She thought that people in China, Mao Zedong was really a humanitarian person. So everybody has a human thing inside of them. No, not everybody. You know? We try, we train. One of the purposes of the Torah, the Bible, and the Quran, really, I mean, is supposed to be to inculcate this idea that you're not a behemoth, and if you do something wrong, you should recognize it's wrong. You may do it anyway. You can give in to temptation like Adam and Eve, but at least realize you did something wrong. But when you create a society, or when society evolves or degenerates into a, a system in which it's not wrong, and you'll never get anyone to admit it's wrong because they don't see it wrong. They don't accept the axioms that would make them wrong. Then you're looking at a Corbin. Then... Then, then you look at the situation. Kate's called Bosser Balafonai. Kimolorz Hamas Mitnehem. Vehinini Mashkisim Azorz. So there's nothing you know I can do. Hashem said, by after 120 years or whatever the story was, it's however you take that story. It was clear that came to a certain point, and Hashem's like this it's over. Uh, he didn't have an uh, Abraham conversation. Are there 11 people, 20 people, 10 righteous people, 5 righteous people? Yeah, but beyond that, there weren't any. You understand? Because the culture had so evolved that what we considered uh, sick and weird and evil and perverted and whatever wasn't. And if it's not, there's absolutely no reason in the world to change. So guilt is like something very precious. Charot is something very precious. It would separate people from behemoths, or from chayas to be more exact, it's making people people. It doesn't guarantee you'll do the right thing. We're all fallible. And sometimes even though something's right or wrong, we do it anyway. I get that, you know. That is the story of the human race. And that, frankly, is what happened with Adam and Eve. They weren't, you know, uh, evil. They just gave in the temptation. I understand the consequence, but I gave them temptation. By the time you get to Darflog, it's a different story. I'm sorry, not the Darflog. I keep saying Darflog. I mean the Darmabal. You know, you know what I mean. The Darmabal. By the time you get to Dora Mabel, it's a different story. The hashchosa is a mental hashchosa. The hashchosa is a moral hashchosa. The hashchosa is, is an inside hashchosa. And when something is mushchas, it's not there anymore. Corrupt means it, it rotted. You understand? So maybe that's a better way of saying their moral sensibility is rotted. And if it's rotten, then, then you know, what are you going to do with rotten fruit? It's, uh, you know, you can't save it. It's too late. Um... So when we uh, see what happened the last week with the massacres, and it happened right around the time of Parshish Noah, a week before, you see in front of our eyes an example of a pasuk of set of sukim that usually we probably uh, intellectualize or whatever, you know, thinking this way or that way or this word or that word. But we see, I argue, that you see from the events of last week, it means what it means. Hishkas is kolboser dacharards, and when you get to a certain point, and the chumas is merely a, a a manifestation of that. The chumas is merely a manifestation of that. Societies in which 
what I just said is acceptable, the chumas is, is actually something precious. You go in and, and practice chumas because it's, it's a good. It's a it's an overturning of the moral sensibilities. Uh, when this happens, then then it's curtains for the world. Uh, and I think we've seen an example of this. And that is exactly why, as I speak right now at this moment, I don't know what the future is, even the liberals in Israel are saying that they have to go in and, and, and somehow or other destroy Hamas. Because there's nobody to talk to as as, as Nit Bemens against the Tish, you know. These people will never change. And uh, as long as they have this ideology. And uh, basically the Israelis are saying like this, they have to be killed, you know, to put it bluntly. Because if you don't, they're going to try to kill me again. Now this is a, uh, I'm talking about the Hamas. This is this is a uh, hard pill to swallow uh, for a lot of people. But there are evil people out there in the world. And if you don't get them, they're going to get you. That's that's the, That's the bottom line. Anyway... I told you, I do very well with doom and gloom, and we're certainly at a moment in Jewish history this week. There's plenty, there's enough doom and gloom to go around. But the story of Noah is a, is a story of doom and gloom because the whole human race went down the tubes. Only Noah survived. Uh, and when he came out, there was nobody left. So this is a harsh judgment on mankind. It's a harsh judgment on what happens when you have cultural degeneration and arrives at the point that, that, that the that what's wrong is not recognized as wrong. If what's wrong is not recognized as wrong, then there's not even the slightest chance that anyone will regret and change it. Anyway, I want to thank Yehuda uh, Tannins. He's a real friend, you know? He's a real friend to go and do this, sponsor this for, for Gavi. And uh, we do mourn his passing. And I hope that by the time we get to, <laughs> to next week, and certainly uh, in a couple weeks, all this bad stuff in the Middle East will be behind us and we'll be in a better situation. Amen. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.